Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service that is dedicated to elevating great cinema. For your free 30-day trial of Mubi, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. back ladies and gentlemen to a brand new episode of the film stage show the review podcast for the filmstage.com as always i'm your host brian j rowan with me today we have robin Barr. guten tag we also have bill graham wunderbar <laughs> all right and we are all speaking german today because we are going to be talking about all quiet on the western front the yeah. multiple Academy Award winning film. Someone who watched the Oscars. Tell me if I just said the correct thing. It got multiple Academy Awards. Yes. Ah, shit. Yeah. Um. So this is All Quiet on the Western Front, the multiple Academy Award winning film that is <laughs> on Netflix, but not from Dead Netflix. Confidence. Correct. Oh, um, this was Germany's I mean, specific. Like, I mean, this it, is our Netflix foreign buys language a lot film. of movies. Netflix Wait. buys a lot of movies, though. So. Right, but did they buy it or did they produce it? I thought they bought it. This is already a terrible episode. It, it was at it was it was at TIFF, which usually means that it was not. It was up for sale. TIFF is like a huge, like for sale uh, film festival. So, um, all right. Well, there's no way to know. <laughs> We're gonna be lost forever. <laughs> Oh, man. It's funny that, like, I never know what I'm going to say until I get on here because uh, yeah, a smarter thanks. person would have, like, immediately been like, hey, I should look this up. So what I'm seeing is that its production company is Amusement Park, whatever that is, and it was distributed by Netflix. Mm-hmm. So I'm yeah, going to... Yeah, sounds about right. I'm going... Yeah, the film was announced February 2020. Uh, ba 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 yeah this tells me nothing all right anyway the film only cost 20 million dollars apparently which is absolutely bananas we will talk about it um we're here to talk about all quiet on the western front the multiple academy award-winning film by director edward berger good times uh it stars felix kammerer and uh albrecht shush shush this is gonna be a terrible episode i'm just telling some you of these now. are are hard honestly yeah. And, uh, you know, sometimes when I have trouble pronouncing a name, people are very quick to cry racism. And I would like to point out Germany as the counterfactual to that. I can't pronounce anything that's not in English. So at the very worst, I am xenophobic. Dude, someone on Twitter tried to call racism on me saying that fat phobic is a bullshit term. Uh. <laughs> if you've never heard the thing that like anti-fat is like anti-black or anti-minority, like that's a real thing that people with brains say. So like, yeah, apparently uh, on our 501st episode, I've decided to go scorched earth. So that's where we're starting. But yeah, I can't pronounce German names. Um, I also know that Daniel Bruhl is in this, and that is a name I've said before without getting yelled at. So I feel confident in its pronunciation. But for all I know, I fucked up saying Edward Berger. So who knows? Who knows? But this is how it's just going to be. 
And um, before we get into this, uh, how's everyone doing? We're post-Oscars. That is why we are talking about All Quiet on the Western Front. What did we all feel about those ceremonies? I was happy with it. I mean, it was a pretty chill evening for me. And, you know, the Academy got everything they wanted out of this telecast, which was zero drama. I was about to say quiet. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. All quiet on the Western Front, y'all. <laughs> that is yeah. what Janet Yang was saying. Um, <laughs> it was a, it was a good evening for me. I was only really mad about one win, and that was uh, Sarah Polly for women talking. Because fuck, I hated her speech. It was so rehearsed and vomity. And that movie uh, was like the worst written of all of them. And yes, I said that I am sure it that wor- it, in, it involved a lot of words, Top right? Gun. But yeah, that's it was the thing. very like, wordy. Best script is always just like it's wordy as fuck. It's like basically a play. Like it's it's rarely words, if ever yeah. like oh this is really structurally sound. So or a just, movie that's I, I a chamber know. piece of of women talk like literally the word talking was in there. Of course it was going to get the best screenplay. I think <laughs> really the reason was that it was not going to anything else, and so people wanted to reward it for something. I thought the writing in that film was maybe the worst thing about it because the acting's pretty good. It's directed pretty well, but the actual script is unbearably pretentious. So, and, and, and so was Sarah Polly, honestly, during that acceptance speech. So, you know, what's awesome about not watching the Oscars is not watching acceptance speeches. (laughs) Actually enjoy it. I like the yeah, shit show aspect. The best. I like the joy. You know, there were a lot of good moments on this telecast. Um, so I really can only complain about one thing. I think that's pretty good. No, I always find the speeches during the Oscars to be like real like just like when people say like uh Hollywood talks down to middle America, what they're thinking of is the Oscars. Like I think you're right. There's yeah. always some like blue check Twitter take from some white guy with a goatee. You know, it's just it it's annoying as fuck. And like I'm very happy. Like I haven't watched the last like four years worth of Oscars. Oh, and I it's been fine. It. I I get the the TikToks of all the cool shit that happens. Jesus Christ! I, I saw Will Smith slap a man, and then I got to see. That turned into a song, and then I got to see that song turned into a dance trend. It was incredible. It was so much better than actually watching the Oscars. Uh, th- this is like a, a copy of a copy of a copy thing that Walter Benjamin talked about, right? Like, <laughs> the more the more you copy something, the more diluted it becomes, the oh, more see, distorted it becomes. I love that you uh, said the name of someone who sounds like a very smart man. I would bring up the movie Multiplicity with Michael Keaton, <laughs> where one of the clones says that exact same thing. You know what they say? Multiplicity, the most intellectual film of our times. I need to go back and watch Multiplicity again, because I Do can't you? remember a single no, thing they, that happens they, in that movie. I know that, They say Idiocracy is the most intelligent movie of our times, because it can't. Yeah, because they love eugenics. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Mike Judge. That movie is so Mike Judge. I mean, I haven't seen it. What I mean to say is, like, it's such a him concept. 
That movie, I think without the, I think without the opening scene where it blames the dumbing down of humanity on the fact that like rednecks breed and uh, like intellectual East Coast professors don't, <laughs> like without that as its reasoning, I think it could have just said like we generally tend to get stupider because it's easier. You know, and honestly, like this, the the sons and daughters of smart, affluent people are the worst people on earth. So <laughs> I don't know. So what you're saying is your daughter is going to be a monster. Uh, no, because because she's coming from a broken home, so she has adversity. Right, to overcome. she has character. I exactly. Forgot. If I, if me and her oh, mother, how could I ruin my w- kid? If she, if if me <laughs> and her mother were still together, then yeah, she'd become completely insufferable. And overly coddled. But as it is, she's got adversity she's got to overcome. She's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. (laughs) Anyway. I think about this a lot because I I was born into an upper middle class household. And, you know, my parents stayed married and all of that stuff. But then I think, well, if we hadn't lost our house and, you know, my family hadn't become victim to mental illness, like, Maybe I'd be just like a really boring person. Like me. Yeah, exactly. I'm fairly boring. <laughs> no, I don't think you're boring. I think oh, you have experienced a lot of trauma in other ways. Uh, that's a good point. That's a very good point, actually. Thank you to all my friends who are no longer with us for giving me trauma to overcome. Um <laughs> Because uh, I was gonna say, yeah, I definitely grew up over middle class. I think I'm I'm safe. But no, you make a good, solid standard point. Um, one another great movie, Orange County, uh, where what is it? Young Hanks says something like, "I want to be a writer," and his dad, John Lithgow, says, "You're not gay. You're not oppressed. What do you have to write about?" <laughs> so anyway, the <laughs> I don't even know what's going on right now. Um. Yeah, I, I, I guess that's it. Does anyone, anyone, any other things to say about the Oscars? Brendan Fraser won for The Whale. Great. I'm happy about that. I was I happy about that. I was really happy about that. I did, I've still not seen everything everywhere all at once, so I had no horse in that race. I, have, I had no googly-eyed rock in that race. I'll be honest. That's a movie that, you know, and I talked about this on the pod. I liked it. I didn't love it, but I was happy that a movie – as audacious and risk-taking as that, you know, got recognized, you know, genre movies are not typically uh, seen as prestige fair, you know, especially action comedies. So I was really happy when, as far as it did, and it really, I mean, it really took the whole thing if you think about it. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely a movie. I'm like, I feel like I should rewatch it at some point. Cause like, Maybe I'll get more out of it the second time. You know, I, I'm going to watch it. You will. I'm going to watch so, it like August of this year. If you want to watch it when I watch it, I'm I'm like waiting for all of the conversation to die. I know. Like, yeah, I totally understand why. I want people so, to forget that movie happened, as happens with all <laughs> Best Picture winners. And it's true. Will... Who has mentioned Coda since that Oscar win. Uh, okay, so I did watch Coda with my uh, parents and my sister hey. and brother-in-law and my niece and nephew over Christmas break. So, like, really, normal America is all about Coda. Listen, I like that movie. We in, we talked about it. I think we all liked it to some extent. I just feel like it really kind of died in the cultural conversation. It once, did. That's very true. I still feel I, I still love it though. I've watched it on my own just because I like it. Um what what uh, I did I not tell that story? Had. 
I don't think it ever had cultural conversation. Oh, fuck no. Absolutely not. It, it in no way yeah, did. It, and because it's on Apple TV. That is like, also it true. Didn't, What's it funny didn't is, have like a theatrical release, really. It didn't It didn't do anything. So, what, yeah, what, that movie died on the vine. It's funny, Bill, because I remember joking that All Quiet in the Western Front didn't happen. And yet here we are. It won four Academy Awards and we're talking about it. But this is one of those movies where I was like, yeah, that got quietly released on Netflix and made less of an impact than 365 days that like Turkish erotica where a man kidnaps a woman. And yeah, I think it's happening. Robin, I think rewatching it, it really unlocked a lot for me. I I really enjoyed it more. Um, cause I was able, it, it reminded me a lot of like a Coen brothers film where the first mm. time you're trying to like get a hold of everything and then eventually you just give up because you're like, yeah, no, this is, yeah. I'm going to have to come back to this. Cause it's just right? so frenetic. And like, yes, what I watched, I, I enjoyed, but I, it didn't hit a certain level for me. So I mm-hmm. looking forward to revisiting that and, uh, I, I guess we'll see but you know, speaking of. All quiet, like that's a movie where I don't know anybody in real life who says they saw that. <laughs> no, this movie when this movie started getting awards consideration, I I was immediately like, oh, the fix is in, like Netflix has put all its money. But like, I guess was this I can't think of any other movies that were like the Netflix awards play, right? Like No, this was a really all things considered this was actually like not a win year for Netflix in some ways. Like it was because all quiet did yeah, get a lot of attention, shocking, but yeah. like, but it was not really a best picture player the way that maybe they were hoping. Obviously it did well to BAFTAs, but that's because BAFTA is a Euro centric or more Eurocentric. So I think this was not a great year for Netflix in the scheme of things in terms of its visibility, but you know, they still came away with like a lot of good stuff. The good stuff being the gold. <laughs> the, the gold. The best stuff. I mean, nobody nobody uh, even came close to what A24 did. Like, that, like, no studio, I think, in history has gotten every single one of those um, top right. awards. In so, one yeah, all in one. All in one, we should say. Because yeah. someone posted that, and I was like, there's no way that, like... The big studios haven't over time. No, I mean, but Disney yeah, like is one every, about a billion. But. Every friggin' uh, di- like acting nom went to an A24. Not nom. Every win yeah. went to an A24 every film. Win, yeah. Like that's bananas. Like A24. It's insane. It. It's insane. Um, and I'm glad, you know, I love seeing indie distributors kind of go the distance, um, especially over such like a, a I mean, I'm not calling Netflix a charlatan per se, but like <laughs> the way they spend money. Yes, they 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 they're the uh, what the New England Patriots of movie places. Uh, I don't understand the comparison because I, I don't I know say sport. that. Or the I New York Yankees because uh, Yankees might current Yankees might be a good comparison because the New England Patriots won a lot. Uh, the right, Yankees but if they're one of those people where recently. Where people are just like, yeah, because they spend money. They like, uh, you know. Yes. It's yes, not just the money everybody. spending. It's not just that. It's like when a con artist comes to town and they've got the flashy car and the nice suit. So it's like to convince you that they've got something going on and they know what they like Donald Trump, basically. Like he's 
doesn't really have as much business sense as he has social sense. And so he uses the, the gilded. So Net- Robin, Netflix, more money than sense. Excellent. I love it. <laughs> more I sense it. than sense. Well, listen, hey, I, just, hey. I just watched the, the pilot for Wednesday and it's clear that there was so much money at this thing. But like, what did I come away with except like 14 different plots and nothing coherent? And it's just like, yeah, well, that you're, girl dancing you're became talented. a meme. Yeah, I mean, of I, they I made... really enjoyed it. So. I didn't bother oh, watching yeah. it because fucking Tim Burton's a hack. So <laughs> it, it, it's it looks great. I will watch it, but what I'm saying is, is like they spend, you know, double the money for half the quality, typically, not just Wednesday. And it's, I think they they spend money so wildly. So you think that there's some merit to the business when, in fact, they're hemorrhaging cash. And there's, there's what, you know, Matt Bellany is calling like the great retraction now, um, which is, you know, people trying not just Netflix, but like lots of different streamers cutting how much content they are putting out there because it has not been as profitable as, you know, audiences assumed it was just because everybody's watching doesn't mean everybody's making money. I think, I think Netflix, I mean, I, I am, I am not the brightest person to say this certainly, but you know, I've heard it and it makes perfect sense. Netflix dug its own grave, eventual graves, maybe who knows? We'll see, but they dug themselves a pit of their own making by buying everybody else's shit, getting wildly popular and then everybody else realizing, hey, that's our shit that they're making a lot of money on. Why don't we just make our own streaming service? And so right. now Netflix is like, oh, fuck, we don't have anything. Well, also, Netflix was like well, refusing they do, to pay. But everything that they make, they like the what? Here's what's here's. I'll give you an example. Well, I don't even have to like give you a new example. But like we all know there are times and I'm like, I'm watching Psych again, you know, Nine seasons of Psych plus three movies. Like, I I just hang out on Peacock, mainlining Psych, and then when I need... Holy shit, a, you have Peacock? Yeah, I do. A lot wow. of people have Peacock now. It, it Peacock is it shockingly is like, good. It's a sleeper hit. It's great. Uh, Dr. Death was a fun show with uh, Christian Slater and uh, Alec Baldwin and a bunch of other great mm-hmm. actors in it. Um, but yeah, like... Royal pay, like all the USA shows and stuff. And then like you hop on over to Hulu and you like binge watch 17 seasons of how I met your mother until he finally meets the mother in the last episode. And like, but like Netflix is like, you can watch four seasons of Ozark or a bunch of shows where we treated the first season as a pilot and we never actually delivered. We canceled it. Mm-hmm. Like, so like, what do you like? You go on Netflix and you like maybe get better call Saul and that's like it you know but for your like 12 season comfort watches you got to go everywhere else yeah and i think netflix is doing fine enough you know it's i don't Aren't i think they? there's some... i thought they kept laying people off and like they kept oh, no, they are, but what stock. i'm saying in terms of their content like everybody's laying people off brian I, oh yeah. i know it's, yeah. it's awful well yeah it's awful it's, I mean, we, we could talk a lot more about this, but I, I see yeah, we what haven't even said what our Twitter is yet. <laughs> what? We haven't even said what our Twitter is yet. 
without a guest here to anchor us, we like skipped oh, over right. like 14 different things and just launched into like, I don't know, the first part of the episode. <laughs> but it's good. I think this, right. is, this is the kind of naturalistic flowing conversations that people tune in for. All I was saying is, you know, I think Bill is correct that the fracturing of streaming has definitely impacted Netflix, but I don't think Netflix has been um, totally myopic to what was going on. Like they saw the writing on the wall. That's why they, you know, bid like millions and millions and millions of dollars for, um, oh my God, was it Kevin Spacey show? Oh, oh, House of Cards. uh, House of Cards, yeah. Like they outbid everyone for that because they could see that, you know, people were going to catch up and start taking their content back. So I think they have built quite a few franchises that that work. Um, but nobody does anybody really go to Netflix for the kinds of things that you would go to HBO for? Like I no. I certainly do not find myself just like mindlessly scrolling through Netflix. It's a wasteland to me. Um then again, I don't mindlessly scroll through ever, to, through a lot of other things, but I feel like if I did, it would be more likely to be something like HBO or Hulu. Um, just because I know that Netflix, it, it, it's like everything just looks kind of plasticky for whatever reason. And there's just, unless it's something like a, a Queen's Gambit, which I really love. Like oh yeah, Queen's Gambit was good. All those like Scott a, Frank ones were great. Show. Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, so Netflix, like I, in some ways, it's like I don't even trust them anymore. Oh, so absolutely not. That no one watches surprised? their shows. <laughs> no one watches their shows because they know they're going to get canceled. And they released so many movies and like true crime docs that like nothing hits anymore. Like it just, it's it's like the Netflix is like the weather in Houston. It's like I don't know. Wait fifteen minutes and it'll change. Like there's a whole Kinda, new thing yeah. coming. Well, like Squid Game came and went. Yeah, that well, was that was that was that was hot for a minute. This is this is more a discussion of Netflix's drop model more than it is the quality of these shows because I think Squid Game was insanely popular for a while and if that was a weekly release that thing would have been a monster. Instead, yeah. it came, it went. Erica yes, and yeah. I didn't see it when it was still hot. I tried to watch it with subtitles. She was like, absolutely not. And then we just fucking never watched it because it, all the conversation died about it. And yeah. It was like, I, like, well, yeah. Okay. By the time Nick and I were thinking of even trying it, it seemed like, no, it wasn't a, it wasn't even a topic of conversation anymore. So I mm-hmm. totally agree with you. I think that's definitely a big right. part And meanwhile, HBO and AMC will like release something that starts with like an incredibly small group of people, but grows over the course. Like, like House of the Dragon dropped and people were like, yeah, uh, no, I'm not really into another Game of Thrones. And then by the end, everyone was like, team green, team black. Yeah, uh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then like the, the Last of Us was the same thing. Like. It, yep. it swelled. It constantly grew. I never well, watched yeah, it. Yeah, Yellow Jackets I, was the same way, you know? And, and yeah, now it's like the on, only like, thing Showtime even <laughs> has. That was, anymore, say, that was besides, on Showtime. Besides kajillions and trillions that they're trying to franchise. <laughs> and then, uh, what is it? What's the stars has uh, the new Party Down, which I heard is great, but I'll never see because. But they have power and that's a really big franchise. But anyway, well, I, I mean. I I'm, don't even know what that means, but I'll take your word for it. We're we're sort of getting away from it here, but I think I think it really does tie into the fact that like I think All Quiet and we'll get into this, I think it was a great movie. 
I'm glad it got yeah. Oscar nominations. Do you think anybody has seen this movie? No, absolutely not. Um, <laughs> hey, by the way, you can find us on Twitter at Film Stage Show, Facebook, The Film Stage Show. Email us, podcast, thefilmstage.com. Give us a comment rating on iTunes. Go to patreon.com slash Show to give us your money. Um, and uh, you can join our Slack channel. We were talking about dad hats. Yes. I tuned AKA. in briefly for that. What is that? So what are dad hats? Some, somebody was like, oh, I think I got a dad hat of this brand. And I was like, wait, is a dad hat the thing that my husband collects? And it totally was. What it's is it? Basically, it's a baseball cap that has some kind of brand on it. Like, oh, okay. Uh, oh, like, a, so I mean, it's just I guess a baseball it could be cap. anything. It's just like a logo it, baseball a, cap. It is, but there's like a vibe. And the you know vibe what? is cheesy. Right. Okay. So, no, no, because my dad constantly gets hats from the country club that they belong to to do yard work oh, in. Okay. I take everything back. You are a privileged little bitch. No, my parents became and privileged you've experienced no afterwards. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I've seen parts of the OC. I feel like rich kids still have problems. Um, but no, he he like only wears these country club hats to do yard work. And so they like get destroyed within a year or two. And then he just goes and buys another one. It's so yeah, weird. He get, yeah, because he's a dad and he uses it Hold for yard on. work. Hold on. Are we calling flat brimmed hats dad hats okay. or the curved bill? It's Both, be curved, in my right? opinion. It's it's curved bills with the snapbacks. Yeah. Like, what are we doing here? Curved bill is like your escort name. First of all, if you get a flat. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, that's my I, new Instagram handle. Curved bill. <laughs> anyway, uh, what was I saying? If you get a flat bill baseball hat, you curve the bill. Right? I like, don't. No one keeps it. You keep it flat. Are you a psychopath? Yeah. <laughs> Brian, there is an entire brand dedicated to the flat bill hat. It's called that's New the, Era. That's the fuck no, because you get a new era and you have to make it curve. No, Brian, no, absolutely bill. not. Wait, you don't right. touch that the the brim. So there's Dude. it's interesting because I I typed in New Era cap in Google and I'm looking at five pictures, two of which have curve bills, three of which are flat. <laughs> Slut. Uh-huh. So clearly you're, you're outnumbered. Oh, one of them is called the 47 brand Yankees dad hat in cream. Dad hat. Dad hat. Is it curved? Oh. It is curved. Yes, it is curved. Actually, this 47 is-, is my favorite. It, this is an unsolic- unsolicited and un uh, what's the word? What's the word I'm looking for? Uncompensated plug. 47 brand is the best hats. Hmm. So get out there and get of, of new of new era I, of any. The only hat that I like how I look in, aside from my Irish flat cap, which is what I call a dad hat, because every dad. Oh, my no, you're one of those one. guys. No. Yeah, of course I am, Robin. I'm a father. Oh, oh my God. I oh. we're going to have to talk about Nick your reaction. He's never allowed. I told no, he's got to get one, especially no. if you ever have a child. He has to get one immediately. I would prefer if he wore a fucking fedora. Arthur. At the distillery has like four of them. I have one. And then a bunch of the other dads at my daughter's school slash church, they all have one too. It's coming back. It's happening. The flat caps are happening. You want Queer Eye. Why? They're going to look at my flat cap and say, oh my God, I love that. (laughs) What the fuck is a flat cap? Oh, it's it's like that Irish hat. Oh, is this Peaky Blinders? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. All right. They call it a flat cap. That's a... 
Yeah, that's that's a dad hat. Yeah, that's Everyone totally a dad. Everyone thinks they look cool in them, but they don't. But that's the thing. So many people are wearing them. It doesn't matter if you don't actually look good in them. <laughs> also, it's <laughs> just comfortable just and it works and it's warm. Too confident. It doesn't matter. I'm gonna. I gotta take down some of that confidence. It's ridiculous. I have. I have. What? Uh, what? Oh uh, God! Now I can't even remember. There's like 17 different kinds of flat caps. I think I just have a flat cap. I don't have a driving cap or a panel cap. Anyway, oh we we're getting deep into it. What was I saying? All right, you can get into weird conversations like this at our Patreon, but you can access our Slack by joining our Patreon, Patreon.com/slash/FilmStudio. We are also brought to you by Mubi, the curated streaming service that is dedicated to elevating great cinema. From iconic directors to emerging auteurs, there's always something new to discover. With Mubi, each and every film is hand selected, so it's like your own personal film festival, streaming anytime, anywhere. Quite the opposite of Netflix. Uh, deal with it, Netflix. You're getting called out. You're not as good as Mubi. Because Mubi has people who hand select their films to make sure that they are awesome. I'm going to talk about one of their movies right now. The bibliographical drama At Eternity's Gate. Willem Dafoe followed his Best Actor Prize at Venice with an Oscar nomination for his magnificent performance as Vincent van Gogh. In this impressionistic biopic, beautifully directed by Julian Schabel, At Eternity's Gate is an immersive portrait, not just of the artist, but his singular worldview. So, yeah. I forgot that about that movie. I did, too. But you know who didn't? You know who didn't, Robin? Movie. Movie didn't. So if you get <laughs> a little subscription to movie, every once in a while, you'll see one of those and be like, oh, shit, I forgot about that movie. That movie, that movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, what you said is, I forgot about that comma movie. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I forgot about that movie. Thanks for the movie, movie. Anyway, yeah, and you'll uh, you'll get to see it because it's there right now. If you would like to see this and other films and try out movie for yourself, uh, you can get a free 30-day subscription by going to mubi.com slash filmstage. Again, that is mubi.com slash filmstage. For a whole month of great cinema for free. So that's it. We've already talked all about uh, our feelings on Netflix and such and junk and uh, the Oscars as well. So I feel as though there's not really anything holding us back from starting our discussion about All Quiet on the Western Front. Would you all agree? Yes, let's do it. All right. Killer. All Quiet on the Western Front once again is directed by Edward Berger. And stars a bunch of people whose names I have trouble pronouncing, as well as Daniel Bruhl, whose name I am more confident in pronouncing. It is I on... bet you pronounce it the worst of any of them. Oh, probably. Everyone else is like, yeah, oh, well, he got my name right. And then Daniel <laughs> Bruhl is like, oh, this fucking bastard. <laughs> exactly. But like I said, it's confidence. It's not. It might be unearned or unfounded, but it's still confidence. Anyway, this movie. Like the hat. <laughs> Yep, just like an Irish flat cap. Uh, this movie is on Netflix now, and it follows a bunch of German soldiers during World War One's waning days. Here is the trailer. All right, that is it 
for All Quiet on the Western Front. I love letting foreign language trailers play out very, very long. <laughs> it's always the best. I, this one actually had some language in it, though, which is fun. Um, on that note, I want to point out to people who who decide that they want to watch this, which, uh, spoiler alert for my opinion, I think you should. Um, my Netflix started this movie in English, and I was like, oh, oh, maybe it's one of those weird things where, like, a foreign country made a movie but still made it in English. And then I, like, snapped out of my reverie and was like, wait a second. No, this was the German foreign language submission. What the fuck is happening? And then I, like, clicked to subtitles and, like, language track. And it said, you know, playing in English with English subtitles. And then the next thing over was German, a parentheses, original. I was like, well, why wouldn't you start it there? And anyway, that's people just... people weren't watching the goddamn movie. Right. And I, I honestly think that was it. And it was one of those things where I was like, you know, okay, so... Chernobyl, the the great HBO miniseries, is a bunch of fucking Russians and Ukrainians, all of whom have British accents. So when this movie started, and it's, first of all, like the first 10 minutes is basically silent. It's just a bunch of people like grunting and being upset and saying one another's name. And then it's a montage of stuff. And then Heinlich. it like, it what? Heinlich. Yes, exactly. But then we cut to a bunch of German schoolboys talking to one another, and all of them have immaculate British accents. And I was like, ah, oh, it's one of those things again. But you couldn't tell that they're, what they were saying was not matching. Well, because at first it was far back, and then it pulled up, and one of them, it was very clear his, his voice wasn't matching. And I was like, oh, shit, mm. this is not correct. You know, so I uh, I did it. I like turned it on. So I just want people to be aware of that. This movie may try to hoodwink you into thinking it's, you know, a Sky original, but it's not. It's supposed <laughs> to be in German. That is not, uh, you know, <laughs> Skellens Cars card. And uh, who was the other one? Who was the guy in that? Richard Harris. Yes. Nope. This is supposed oh, yeah. to be Germans talking German. And anyway. <laughs> and um yeah, so yeah, let's talk great, about great it. Show. This movie is based on the seminal novel, um, which was written by Erich Maria Remarque, I am going to assume. Has anyone read this novel? I haven't. Nine. I actually am looking at my copy right now. Oh, of I've course. I've got it right here. I've had this thing for like over 20 years. But that's Did you read the, it in high school? That's the problem. Well, I read it on my own recognizance in high school. It was not assigned during high school. But that's the problem is it's been maybe almost 20 years since I read this. So I remembered very little. Mm. And so I, I'm, I'm a poor person to tell you what's script to screen on this. I know a lot of people complained about the film as an adaptation. Yes, I read some of the... Uh, responses to this movie online today and there were people who were upset about the adaptation but I'm just I just want people listening at home this is not gonna be one of those episodes where like Pinocchio we have an expert on who can tell you literally everything that's ever happened with relation to Pinocchio and can <laughs> quote it to you in the original Italian or in this case German that's just not the way it's gonna be this time so if you so have you're those ignorant thoughts, along with us or you are gonna be furious that we don't know the novel that well but anyway, so let's and talk about it. those people can fuck off. Yeah, precisely. Um, let's talk about this movie and this movie only. Bill Graham, what are your thoughts on All Quiet on the Western Front? 
So I'm one of these crazy motherfuckers that saw this before it got nominated. Um, and I really enjoyed it. I watched it while I, I was talking with Erica because she was like, you saw it? And I was like, yeah, I watched it while you were here. And she was like, what? And I was like, yeah, I watched it with my headphones in. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I watched it with my headphones in. And at some point, I think she got off of a meeting. I think she left for some reason or something. And I was like, all right, it's time to crank this shit. And so I most guys it. would be like time to watch porno like like <laughs> no, I got to put on my World War One epic. First of all. World War One and World War Two movies are dude porn. <laughs> yes, we love is, global this conflicts. True. This is very true. Yeah, okay, especially okay, okay. especially ones that show it like this. Anything um, that involves rifles, still primarily made out of wood, mm-hmm. it's perfect. And tanks. Yes, <laughs> the invention of tanks uh, is the game changer here. Um, yeah, so yeah, we we cut um, off at Korea. That's when we stop. Not well, stop enjoying <laughs> watching more movies. How many Korean yeah, helicopters? No, thank you. Probably no, thank like you. two. Like okay, mash Korean. And... I'm just assuming there's got to be another one, right? Like there's probably there's, like some classic ones that I just have no idea about. Yeah, let's see. Korean, Korean War movies. Uh, Devotion just came out. Chosen. I'm aware of that one. Battle of Jangsari. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, this this might be a frontline I've never heard of, but it's on Tubi right now. <laughs> not Mubi, but Tubi. Tubi, yes, which is not Mubi for television, even though it absolutely should be. <laughs> Wasn't known, I'm thinking of something else. There's like a North Korean propaganda film that is not, oddly enough, about Korea. I think it's about Iraq. Um Oh, Heartbreak Ridge with uh, what's his what's yep. his face? Clint Eastwood. Mel Gibson. What? No, oh. that's We Were Soldiers oh, once, that, and that no, was. I, I was thinking Hacksaw Ridge. Oh yes, that's a different ridge, different war, different <laughs> different country. Anyway, uh, so yeah, so that's oh, apparently I so I googled list of Korean war films, and it says Gran Torino. So I guess that's the war he fought in. Yeah, that, that is not a Korean war. That can't film. be. He would be fucking dead. <laughs> right? Like he could he had to have fought in Vietnam. Right? But no, uh, but that's a, but it's not set in the it's not set at the Korean War. He's just a character that may have been affected by it. I'm looking up Gran Torino to see if he was in the Korean War in that movie. Anyway, uh Bill <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah. Oh no. Uh, yeah. Well, Kowalski, he was in fact a Korean War veteran. Mm-hmm. Still not a Korean War movie. But I, he, you know, they probably they say the word Korean War. That's a lot more than the Korean War usually gets. Mm. Mad that, like Mad Men is more of a Korean War movie. Oh yeah, Mer- like Mad Men is Korean War up the wazoo. Yeah, the birth of Don Draper. Anyway, I'm sorry. We keep cutting off Bill. Bill, what are your thoughts right now? <laughs> Uh, I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm shell shocked right now. Um, let me see here. Um, okay. I really enjoyed this movie. Uh, I thought it was stunning uh, from beginning to end. I thought it was also a miserable experience to watch because the whole time you just know the ineptitude of, of this war just in general. Um, you know, the idea that trench warfare it was kind of, you know, 
uh, I guess, popularized in a way here and then just fucking just died on the vine here as well. It's just like, Jesus, what what are we doing? Um, You know, this is (laughs) this is the old style of war with modern technology, modern ish technology that was just it was just mowing people down. And it's just it's frightening to see um, at times. And yeah, I think I think the politics of this are fascinating. Obviously, there is like a big bad character um, that that isn't, you know, uh, the next war over. Um, And yet I feel like this film does a good job of kind of putting it in in perspective of this guy is a like a career soldier and everybody else around him is just kind of in it to win it and he's just like oh no i'm i'm in it till the bitter fucking end um so yeah it's it's powerful talking about the general I'm trying. I'm trying not to name names okay. or do anything like that. Because yeah, I'm, a, I'm confused about like what a spoiler for this movie would be. Yeah. <laughs> Just to that, be- that, but also I don't want to step on my own toes because I don't have his name in front of me. So I'm trying. I'm trying to be a good Bill right now. <laughs> talk, talk vaguely about what the, the shitty things that he does without naming specific things, because also I don't want to get those wrong as You're well. You're talking about like so. the man in the opulent palatial estate yeah, where he yeah. talks to people like he's the fucking Pope. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Which um, I, I, the, the subtitles are, which are wrong by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, they call him a sergeant, but also whenever someone speaks in German, it says in English because clearly the subtitles were written for the English language dub and they didn't change them ah. over when you put it into German. So it'll be like in French, like, Hey, Hey, what's up people. And then it'll say in, uh, you know, English, you know, goodbye. Uh, but the person will say, Avitasen, and you're just like, that's not fucking English. So hmm. keep an eye out for that. Anyway, I feel like I'm talking a lot of shit about this movie in terms of its like transfer. Are no, you talking and shit about Netflix? It's 100 percent Netflix and their and the presentation problems. Administrative, yeah. I uh, yeah. So I just wanted to I wanted to say that in the movie it's like he's a sergeant. I'm like I don't feel like a sergeant even in the German army has this much power. That feels like he should be a, at least like a lieutenant or a general. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I- I, I think I think a lot of its politics are kind of interesting to see. Um, you know, I, I think I think the situation in a train is fascinating to see these people like try and form this armistice and you know treaty and everything like that. And it's it's just like, what the fuck are we doing, guys? Like, let's let's hurry the fuck up. If if we are talking like a stand down then let's fucking go like let's let's do this quickly why are we why are we like you know hashing things out like let's let's get this thing signed and then we can maybe hash out some more details later which yeah. you know i mean it, look if nah i'm not i'm not even going to say it <laughs> so yeah, just we to can- clarify uh, what bill you're talking about is you know for most of the narrative we are in uh the mind of a, like a young german soldier who was sort of basically told like you know for the love of your country you will fight this you know noble war and so he and his friends sign up 
just for the sake of, um, you know, being real men or whatever, you know, it's going to be a fun little jaunt. Then they, of course, they deal with the horrors of war. And then in the, in the background of that narrative, we see uh, how the higher ups in the German government are trying to end the war because they see, they see the writing on the wall. They know that they're, they're getting destroyed. They're, they're outnumbered. They're yeah, outnumbered. And, and they're literally losing population. They're like, well, we're, killing we we don't have we, enough german boys we have destroyed a generation kill. of young men yeah <laughs> it's just incredible and and so you're you kind of see it from both ends like the the sort of dignified quote-unquote war you know and and they i think the senior describing is the um is the diplomatic interaction liberal between, yeah right yes with between yeah. france and germany and and the uh, th- those powers versus what's happening on the ground, which is like the classic, like trench grime, body parts, blood, gore, etc. Yeah, and and Brule is obviously very aware of how many men they are losing per day, and that's that's his like driving motivation. Is every minute we are losing X amount of soldiers, X amount of people. Right. And he's 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 focusing on a body count because that's that's a powerful thing. Right. Especially at this time. Um, I don't think we we had really seen this number of like casualties on this kind of scale um, before. I mean, this was just eating people alive. So. Yeah, it was decimating them. I yeah, I, um, I found that contrast very interesting. I mean, there, there is, is there I, is one scene that I really want to highlight real quick because yeah, I don't know it. if I'll I'll remember it. And also, you know, I've gotten interrupted fifteen times, so I'll just go ahead and say this here. Um, there is a sequence where a uh, one one of these kids gets a uniform, and he notices is a name is stitched into it, and he's like, "Oh no, 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 this this isn't mine. This is this person's," and. I think I think one of the ladies like grabs it, rips off the name underneath the desk and is like, oh, look, yeah, here it is. And so gives it back to him. Yeah. The, the scene you're describing is like the opening of the movie. And it's yeah. we we see um, it's act- the, the opening of this movie is beautiful. But we see a soldier get killed as a soldiers want to do in, in war, especially World War One. And then we see. Like the machinery of war that strips off the boots and the shirts and the the everything, and then it gets taken and boiled and then dried and then collected and then sent to like a room full of seamstresses. They're yeah. singer sewing machines hammering like machine gun fire, and then we like cut to these like shiny clean. Bavarian North German boys. I'm sure Bavaria is not in North Germany. I'm sorry, Germany. And they're like, hey, like, I'm going to forge my parents' signature so I can go to war because we're going to, like, you know, go and we're going to see the world. We're going to fight for the fatherland. It's going to be awesome. And then he gets handed this uniform and he looks and he, like, Bill says, he's like, oh, this belongs to someone. His name is already in it because they never pulled the, the sewn name tag out of this guy's uniform after he was killed. And so the the guy who answered to him is like, oh, yeah, uh, it probably just didn't fit him. It was probably too small for him. It happens all the time. Just rips the name tag out. And he's like, here you go. Just take it. It's fine. Throws the name tag beneath his desk where there is a pile of names. Mm-hmm. 
It is mm-hmm. it, like that. Honestly, as a short film, that alone is harrowing. Yes, I agree. Yes. I agree. Yes. And, yeah. and, you know, later on, we see all these, you know, different different out- uniforms and things like that. You start to realize, like, the wear and tear of all the items that these people are handling. Right. It's like nothing's fucking new. Everything's been repurposed. Everything was from a dead body of somebody else, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just like, oh, Jesus, Christ, you know. So, yeah, I thought I thought that was an incredible sequence right there. All right. Robin Barr. Yeah, I thought this movie was great. Um, as we've you know talked before, World War One is probably my favorite genre for war movies. Which is a real Although- <laughs> fucked up thing to say, but it's true. I mean, so to coast off of what you just said, when I was a kid, there was a um, a show called Young Indiana Jones. Did anyone else watch this? Yes. Oh, it I've had seen it. Sean Patrick Flannery in it. I've never saw it. No. Oh, I, I know it of his existence. I, I, I don't know. Now that I think about it, I think it was like maybe a series of like, um, you know how like, you know how like, uh, what's his name? Columbo never had a TV series, but he just had like a bunch of like movies, like made for TV movies. And so like people, but anyway, I don't, I don't know if this was that or what it was, but it was awesome. And it was. Sean Patrick Flannery's Young Indiana Jones. And he, at one point, I think fights in World War One in like North Africa or something. And it was the first time I'd ever seen trench warfare depicted. And oh, it geez. was so harrowing and so bananas. But also like it was in a show that was pitched at young children. So like they couldn't show too much of how fucking terrible it was. Mm-hmm. But it was like... It is imprinted in my brain. Like I would play World War One, you know, or when I would play war, I'd be like, we're in the trenches and then you're going to blow your whistle and then we're all going to run. And then you just randomly fall down because you got shot. Like it was, it was really play war. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Are you kidding me? We played war. We played cowboy and Indians, cops and robbers. And like usually in those, you'd be like, I'm the cop and you're the robber and we'll shoot each other. And one of us will decide that the other one shot the other one. But when we would play war, it was like. I don't know, just run around, do a bunch of crazy stuff. But sooner or later, you're going to get hit. Like it was the it, even my young brain understood the randomness of the carnage. But also just how how pure that was of like, look, you're sort of safe down here. But when you vault over, you've entered the maelstrom and it's just all in God's hands and you could die. And I have always thought that World War One, in terms of like movies, just like like a war movie, especially like giving clear stakes and like geography, but also illustrating like how fucking terrible war is. I was like, World War One is underexploited in this way. Yes. And yet recently it's been having its day because it had War Horse and then it had 1917 and then fucking Perry Mason on HBO has Perry being a World War One veteran and there is a very disturbing flashback and now we've got this and so Downton I'm like Downton Abbey also had a whole thing oh I never saw Downton Abbey but um I've never saw fucking Perry Mason well I you don't really have to I'm still watching I it don't. but I don't it's not that great it's definitely got one of those characters who's like we want to have a woman in this and she's got to be strong. So what if it's like a woman from like 2023 Twitter, but she's like living in 1932 <laughs> Los yeah. Angeles. 
Always my fucking favorite. So it's like, you're going to make a great lady lawyer, Della. And she's like, I'm going to be a great lawyer with no modifier. And then she's like a lesbian and she's smarter than everyone else. And I'm like, man, I never read the original Perry Mason novels and I never saw the original TV show. But I have to imagine she wasn't as insufferable in previous incarnations. But anyway, yeah, so World War One, it's making a comeback. Yeah, I also really like Vietnam War movies, but I think there's something about World War One where it's it's maybe what you described, Bill, which is like it was really. I mean, some people say like the Civil War was the first modern war. In some ways, it was, but in terms of technology, it was like so unbelievably catastrophic, and the technologies that we use, like really. I think recreated people's beliefs about the evils and the the evils of what humans could do. Like, I think it really rewrote the power that people believed uh, humans have to uh, destroy each other. It's really incredible in a way that world war two is not, you know? Um, and yet world war two is like vastly, overrepresented in film um for whatever reason probably because of probably because of the timing really i mean we can get into it but i i really think it's something to do with like people either coming of age or being children during the golden age of hollywood or their parents having had served in, in world war ii or they or they themselves served in world war ii it was just so much more present um when well, the medium was you know really coming alive one, so I want to point out that there's another World War One movie. It was actually an A&E. Yeah, it was an A&E movie. It's called The Lost Battalion. Uh, it was in 2001, which I think was around the same time that Band of Brothers was happening. So it's interesting that HBO was like, we got World War Two, And A&E was like, oh, well, unfortunately, HBO snapped up the rights to World War Two, So we've got World War One though. But it's called The Lost Battalion. And it's about an American battalion that was trapped behind enemy lines and like under siege at the end of World War One, and how fucking terrible that was. And it's apparently on Prime Video. But I think one of the reasons that people attached War Two more is that like morally, it's a lot easier to understand. It was, it was like, the righteous the war. Yeah. yeah, it's like, well, cool. We've got like a totally evil dude who's trying to just just completely genocide multiple populations of people. He's literally the fucking worst. We should take care of this. And World War One, one of the reasons you can get away with making a movie out of All Quiet on the Western Front is that you feel bad for the foot soldiers in the infantry because it's clear that they're not quite sure what they're doing there either. Like, it's yeah. just, they're not like, oh, you know, we're taking back this, like, you know, whatever. It's like, oh, here we are. Like, we're going to earn our pride and glory because there was still a time where like going to war was like a gentleman's pursuit, you know, read war and peace to hear more about that. Um, but like, you know, it's, it's like what happened? Like the archduke got blown up. Uh, and then like the Serbs, what he got shot. <laughs> oh, right. Cause they wanted to blow him up and then that didn't work. And then like a dude eating a sandwich was like, Oh shit, there he is. Yeah. And shot him. <laughs> <laughs> I keep Are I keep forgetting Franz Ferdinand. Yeah, yeah. And I keep forgetting okay. how like inept the black hand was. Anyway, so yeah, so that happens, and then like it's that whole like, oh, it was a cascade of treaties, and also like 
some countries didn't even exist yet. Like, you know, so we're just kind of like this tangle of city states. We're on the precipice of becoming the modern world. And what it really was, was it's an argument that cascaded out of control. And that's why like at the end of this movie, it, it, the, the absurdity of it really drives home because it's just like, I don't know, like, let's just stop guys. Like we're just killing a bunch of people. No one knows what we're doing here anymore. Like this, this, this war and its insanity and unnecessary, unnecessariness, lack of necessity, literally made one of the largest countries in the world collapse and toppled like a 200 year dynasty and replaced it with the Soviets. It's like nothing good is coming out as we should just stop. And then they're like, okay, but we're not going to call like an armistice. While we're working this out, we're still going to kill each other. And we're not going to yeah. say immediately because like at this point, we're such a bunch of ponces that like, wouldn't it be cool if it ended at 11 on the 11th day of the 11th month? Like, isn't that just fucking cool? Cool. Sweet. Six hours to kill one another still. Get it in under the wire, boys. <laughs> like, it's just it's so a very stupid. sloppy, messy, difficult war that like to even understand who you're rooting for and why just takes more than most movies would be willing to do which is why this movie doesn't even seem to try but it does make it a little easier for this to lean into the war is hell and pointless thing whereas anything that takes place in world war ii if someone's like uh the pointlessness of war you can then point to millions of dead bodies and say um yeah would have been like you know would be nice if they were still here it's not quite as pointless as you'd like to think Anyway, that was my scripted rant about why I think World War II gets more joy than World War I. I think they're all valid, uh, and it's a multifaceted issue. Yeah, it is. So, anyway, yeah, I, Robin I really and I are going to write a script about World War I together. <laughs> <laughs> From the women's perspective. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was an enjoyable movie. Or, well, what's enjoyable? I thought it was very interesting, not boring, which is... No, I find most movies kind of boring. Um, for whatever I like reason, how, I like how there's no modifier on that. You're just like, I'm a film critic, but most movies are pretty boring. They are. I mean, you really have to be special to like suck me in. Let's be honest. Um, so yeah, I felt very sucked in by it, and I think it's it goes to what you know what the three of us were talking about, which is the quality of the actual storytelling is very good. Um, I felt very emotionally connected to the plight of of our main character um who honestly is so anonymous in a way that i forgot his name like it's paul <laughs> yeah and, I, and for the half the movie i thought it was heinrich it was like getting very confused <laughs> um because of the heinrich at the beginning of the movie i was like oh they're both <laughs> named heinrich how interesting like yep. i don't know why i thought that so yeah paul's um i mean it's it's a good enough performance that he really loses himself in it uh, and, and yet allows other people to shine around him. And certainly, um, you know, his, I think the friendships that you see in the movie, like in a kind of jingoistic way, I forgot they were German and I was like, <laughs> no, they're going to die. And then I was like, wait, like, no, I should be rooting against them because they're the quote unquote enemy from 100 years ago. Um, slash, I mean, this like, movie one of the best things about this movie is how effective it is at making the French seem like fearful, <laughs> bloodthirsty assholes. 
Yeah. I mean, to be fair, a lot of the movie, I was like, yeah, these the ones who survive this are just going to grow up and like, you know, get into Hitler's whole thing. So part of it was like not that into like rooting for them. It's, you know, it's like Das Weissabond, like, which is also a great movie. And Oh, my God. Um, yeah how that movie is really about like the childhood of Nazis. Um, so and childhood so, of the leader is also about the childhood <laughs> of a leader. <laughs> uh, I have not seen that one. Oh, um, really? Yeah. It's been on my list for a long Brady time. Brady Corbett. He's great. It. Love that is guy. Is it boring? Is the question. Um, it's so, probably yeah, going to be boring. To you, I'll be <laughs> honest. I, so I, I was into this movie, um, the technical aspect, you know, you, you cannot get that, um, that those notes out of your head, like after you see this movie, the score, yeah, and the score okay. is just incredible. It is a little bananas that this one best score. Am I the only one who thinks that? It's like the score is like four repeated notes. Yeah, but they're and? so effective. <laughs> so it's Jaws. What's wrong with that? No, I would. That's uh, you know, Bill. I feel like you know what's the difference, <laughs> and I can't. <laughs> I was down for it. I didn't give a shit. All right, I'll take I didn't think it had much competition. It. Look, I enjoyed it, and I honestly, oh, you yeah. Want John you, Williams to win for the four hundred thousandth time? For what? What did for the table the, fucks? Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, no, I'm not. I mean. Honestly, if I think that just based on sheer forgettability, the able the ablements, the fablements <laughs> should have won the best picture because that movie already doesn't exist. <laughs> It really doesn't. The first time I thought about that movie almost since seeing it was when I saw a tweet the other day that said, like, the craziest moment in movies this year was when, uh, what was it? Well, who's the guy who pl- Seth Rogen is like, hey, Sammy, isn't your mother fucking hot? You should film her. And then his dad is like, yeah, get the camera. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the uh, Fablemans. Anyway, they're not in this movie. <laughs> no, they are not. Um. Okay, I hadn't thought about that, but I will save that for bonus content. Um, so, so yeah, I I was down for this movie. Um, I thought the the most compelling performances were Daniel Bruhl. Um, he just really nailed what was very like very much a a small role playing more some important dip, diplomat that I can't even remember his name. Basically, the one that like started the uh, the the armistice. Um, you know, making sure that the Germans just stop fucking dying. Um, and of course, uh, and I forget the guy's name. Um, God, I've had such like aphasia since my surgery. I swear to God. Um, the friend who has a mustache and is very cute. Cat. Is his name cat? It's like, yeah, it's like a Russian name or something that they shortened. It's uh, Stanislaus Katsinski. Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, uh, played by Albrecht Schuch. Yes. Um, so he, that was an incredible performance. Oh yeah. I, I loved I him. He's great. If people had actually seen the movie and not just voted for it, cause they're like, <laughs> they were supposed to, wow. I think he could have easily gotten an Oscar nomination. I think he did get a BAFTA nomination. He should. Um, yeah. He was really great in this movie. He was just incredible. Maybe one of the best supporting performances of the year so yeah between him and, and Brol, they were they really just like sucked me in and um yeah i was very invested in in their experience and and i think you know it's kind of crazy to me that this movie got a lot of criticism for being as kind of soulless and cynical and gory as it was 
But I kind of think like, well, what the fuck do you want from a World War One movie? Is this supposed to be like angels and kittens? I, I don't really yeah, understand so that at all. The, I, what's weird to me is that like I saw a lot of that Twitter backlash where it's like, oh, yeah, like I love a war movie that has to say like war sucks. And I'm like, like, I don't know. They, they made it seem like the movie was like trying to to just really lean into like. I don't like realism as a way to like make it seem like war isn't fun. Like it, it, it actually says something about the, the lightness and the impenetrability of the takes that I can't remember any of them, but the, the, mm-hmm. the backlash really seemed to be like, it's bad. Like, uh, it's gross. Like war is dirty and bloody and sucks. And it's like, well, yeah, but like, I don't know. Isn't it like, I didn't, I, it was hard for Like they made it because I remember, even when we were talking about Hacksaw Ridge that, and I liked that movie. Um, I did too. Yeah. Like I remember saying like, it's, it's weird how it turns from like a miracle style, like Disney movie where it's like, you know, Oh, is little Georgie going to be able to go to war, but not have to like pick up a rifle. Like it even has like a talking to the Dean scene where he's like about to get court-martialed and he's like, look, I want to like fight for my country. I think we need to do this, but I cannot pick up a gun, but I will be a medic and I will do what I have to do. And like, you know, it's got the like, you know, knocking the gavel and like order in the court. Like, you know, I rule that this young man is very courageous and should be able to go to war. And then and then it switches to hardcore fucking gorehound like insanity. And mm-hmm. I it was it was so jarring and so insane and so fucked up. That I remember being like, it is very clear what this movie is trying to do. Like, it's definitely putting us in the headspace of it's one thing to, you know, say that you can do something. But when you're stuck with the reality of it and blah, blah, blah. And it's definitely Mel Gibson exercising all of his, like, fucking gore fetishism that he didn't get out for The Passion of the Christ, which is also a movie that I like. But, like, it's very easy to see that as being like, this is a little a touch beyond Whereas this one, I didn't, I didn't feel like it was, it was worth getting uh, upset about all that stuff that people seem to be getting upset about. Because you're right, Robin. Like, what's the better way to do it? Like, I like you know, come and see. And I'm not saying this movie is come and see, but like, come and see isn't like rainbows and kittens and stuff. Like, that's it's just. But I feel like almost it's like that movie was made not by a multi-million dollar like conglomerate and sold to Netflix. And so maybe we like it more. I don't know. I honestly don't know. Or maybe it's like, it's been done once and we don't need it to be done again. Here's the thing. Look at, I get feeling assaulted by film. Sometimes you're just like, why the fuck did I sit through that? Yeah. It was just an abomination like that. <laughs> you know, it's like sitting through cocaine bear. Like it was an, it was a credibly, uh, just like mind numbing and uncomfortable experience for me because I just did not enjoy the comedy juxtaposed against like mauling situation that I guess a lot of people are into. Um, but you know what? I, and you know what you're getting into with a war movie. Like, do you just want it to be, uh, or do, do people want, the realities of war erased because their sensibilities are too sensitive or something. Like I, I just really, I don't yeah, know. I truly... my, like my soapbox. So I do, don't understand at least like, okay, with cocaine bear, you should know what you're getting into. And I, I kind of knew, but I just wasn't expecting it to be such a like 
such a god awful experience, but you know, it's not it's not like it's a real movie. It's not you know, even though they say it's based on a true story, it's like obviously complete bullshit. Um, so I, I just you know, I'm just using that as an example to say like I get feeling like totally exhausted by these kinds of edge lordy violent you know uh viscera for the sake of viscera kinds of things but this is the kind of thing i'm like okay yeah you just have to be in the mood to watch a war movie and accept it for what it is right like i don't i don't know how people walk into a movie like this and like get shocked by that and like i you know i can understand that some people might be like oh the characters are thinly sketched uh like i think but like this movie has a, a shocking amount of character development. It's one of the few <laughs> World War One things where you see the sun every now and then. Yeah. Though watching this movie, I did say to myself, like, is there something about, like, this area where they were fighting and maybe, like, the amount of, like, shells that were going off that it was constantly foggy and overcast? <laughs> like, is this just the reality is it like oh, if you because were because the palette was just so it's, monochrome in all gray. of these movies? It's like, yeah, okay, yeah, No so Man's Land is gray. like blue and hazy and sucks. And I'm like, I can understand that during battle, right? Because like there's guns going off and That's smoke and why stuff. The um, that film by 1917, oh, no, not 1917. Uh, god, I'm sorry, we're gonna do a bit of a chain here because I'm having this like recall issue, but like. War the movie that the the Lord of the Rings guy made about oh, World of Warcraft. We shall they shall not grow old. <laughs> Lord, yes. Yeah. So that's a fucking great documentary because yeah. it now obviously they took old footage and they used um not really deep fake technology, but sort of like a pre deep fake kind of thing. Right. They used like a, a generative AI to like determine yeah, what the colors yeah, would yeah. be and and they made it so colorful and alive in a way that I've never seen World War One portrayed. And it's like, okay, yeah, you know, they had colors in 1914. Like, they, they had that. blue skies. Right. <laughs> they do that with a lot of stuff now where they'll be like, here's a picture of New York, like, Times Square, whatever. And here it is colorized. And, like, yeah, you're like, oh, shit, that guy's wearing green. Like, <laughs> I thought everyone just... <laughs> And it's funny because they had the things that we had today. (laughs) Right. And it's funny because like to go back to Perry Mason, like my, my, my recollection of that show is primarily monochromatic and it's just like, you know, people did wear colors, like colors were allowed to exist, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's one of those things where I'm like, it is possible that the weather over no man land just sucks because of all the shit that's happened. And it is like that. And maybe they're fighting in the Pacific Northwest of France and it's constantly foggy, but like, I don't know. (laughs) know because we're this is our uh, episode of ignorance because everything we're saying is like oh i don't know fucking anything about germany and i don't know anything about bavaria and who fucking knows anything about the the climate of uh yeah alsace look it is, yeah i was i don't know shit about alsace lorraine um <laughs> <laughs> i am um, surprised i actually was able to pronounce that um I know that they wanted it back i know that's one of the big reasons for world war ii was we want alsace lorraine <laughs> Um, what was I going to say? I can't even remember. But like, well, I will say one thing, though, about pigments for a second. You know, we do take for granted how colorful our everyday world is because of synthetic pigments. That is correct. And, yes. You know, so I, I do understand that, you know, there at one time there was a world where we were less saturated with color. Um, but 
I think a hundred years ago, there there was probably you know some splash of color now every now and then, and like yes, filmmakers use palette to create mood and all of that. But I'm so sick of these washed out, like green, gray, blue, um, just like sickly looking shows used to show how edgy and different it is. Like, yeah. oh, this is like the this is the hardcore stuff. We're gonna suck out all of the all of the violet, like the ultraviolet colors. <laughs> make it like sepia-ish. Like, come on. Do something different. Yeah. Have an guys. aquamarine. Oh no. And then I complain. And then you get Shape of Water, which is like the most aggressively green movie I've ever seen. Like nausea green. So I don't know. Choose your colors better, everyone. <laughs> All right, you 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 should do your. Um, I don't know my yeah. nutshell thoughts. Of this is a great movie. It's um okay. <laughs> What's funny is watching this movie, I, you know, I, I had in my head all that like Twitter nonsense that like sort of is nebulously in there where people are like, oh yeah, it's big, like, you know, war is hell. Like it sucks. It's really dirty and it's gross. And like, you know, people he kept kind feel, of saying, I feel, I feel like so many people like, I understand what you're trying to do, Brian. You're trying to bring like a little bit of antagonism into this, but like, I don't know. Uh, fuck those people, and also oh, fuck absolutely. that take, and also like we don't have to talk about that anymore. But it's like, it's, like, like nobody's who? nobody. Fuck the nobody's people who here. are online being like, "Ugh, the movie is just like grim." Oh, but it's oh, like yeah. you know, like, but like if if you're on film Twitter, you're gonna run across that for every fucking movie, no matter how universally praised. Oh my god! It is. Well, so yeah, I, just, ex- I don't. I don't want to spend too much time. Exactly. Like, well, why? Why do you think I haven't things. watched everything everywhere all at once yet? But so my my point for saying that again is just. In watching this movie, those people are fucking stupid. Like, this movie is not, like, the horror show that I was expecting. It's clearly, like, pretty dark. But, like, it, it like, there's that whole scene where they're in, like, the French countryside and they're taking a shit next to each other. And, like, there is stuff in there that's, it's not just, like, I was expecting, like, the two and a half. sequences are fantastic. First of all, I believe they're a goose. But you are correct. Okay. They are fantastic. Wait, no, like, uh, it's so stealing the what? chicken. Stealing it's a goose. <laughs> See, um, yeah. Anyway, um, stealing stealing the poultry. Um, there we go. Yeah, uh, it, it's it, that sequence is that sequence is so good because you've understand that the war lines have now superseded what the actual country is, and we're in this place where, like, the back end of this trench has engulfed this country that is an unwilling participant in being like taken over and yet it is and nobody's fucking moved and so now we just have like this this farm sitting on land where the you know soldiers are moving back and forth kind of freely you know hey don't bother me I won't bother you but it's like yeah but we're really fucking hungry. <laughs> like we're starving. It's, it is one like, of those sorry. weird things where it's like, it feels like total war, but it is like the, there's the front where everything is hell. But then every once in a while you get to cycle back. Mm-hmm. You get to like cook some food. You get to hang out. There's like civilians who are just like, I don't know, man, like the war is like two miles that way. Didn't yep. really affect we're living me. Our life. <laughs> like, yep. It's so weird. Like it's, it's, it's strange that like the, 
total war wasn't quite there yet. Um, you know, it wasn't like Sherman's March to the Sea, and it also wasn't like the bombing of Dresden. You know, it's there's there are these pockets of things being normal, which is very very strange to see. But like, yeah, yeah, this, it's abnormal in its normalcy. I and I I was a little off put at first by the diplomatic aspect because it was I don't think that's in the book at all like if it is I totally forgot about it um but it, it became a thing where I think that the point of the book and like the way that it's even as even as a piece of German literature that was written about a world war that they were like the primary antagonists in right before a second world war where they were 100% the primary antagonists the reason that it's it's stuck around and still speaks to something universal is because you do get that sense of like, this is 100% a war that most of the soldiers, except for like the French ones who were trying to stop the Germans, like probably had no idea what the fuck was going on. And the, the, the more Daniel Brule we get, the more you can kind of feel that push pull of like, you know, this again, this is like just the most pointless war, like for the people defending it, it has a big point. It, the point is to not get taken over by this fucking group of people. But, like, what are these people being sold? I remember that there was a little more about, like, what made these guys want to go in the book. I almost want to say it was kind of like um, in the book Starship Troopers and the movie Starship Troopers, in all honesty, where, like, it was clear that, like, the the education system was also kind of pushing these people to war. Well, I mean, that's that opening sequence, right? Right. But, like, there's kind of stands up and yeah. does all that. But, but I think but there's think more of that part of it. Another part of it is just like, this is what you do. Like you serve your country. Like you, you are a man of the house. So you go, you go to war and like, and you know, it, there is like that history of the gentleman's war and like, like the German officer who, you know, is, is such an asshat, but like his, he has served in the military because his grandfather served in the military and blah, 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 right down the line, down the line, down the line. And it's like, oh yeah, the world war, we're going to do that. We're going to serve in that. Right. And it's like, I think so much of it is you, you get this male kind of like frothing of the mouth and before you know it, you're you're being handed a gun, you're being suited up, and you're like, wait, 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 wait. And it's like, nope, too late. There's a guy with a bayonet at your back. If you don't march forward, you're going to get stuck, you know? And it's yeah. just like, so all of a sudden, they're in the machine without realizing what the machine is going to do, and then they just get chewed up by it. And so I think this, this film kind of does that very quickly where – they're like, oh, ha, this is gonna be great. Like, and then they kind of realize like everybody else around them is just kind of miserable. And they're like, why are you miserable? And it's like, oh, <laughs> just give it, give it two days, like you'll yeah. find out, you know? And it and they're just like, isn't this awesome? And before they realize it, they're in hell, right? And so, like, I don't know, like, like th that to me is kind of the the trajectory of this film that i find so interesting that it, it's it's just you're in it too and you realize it too late right yep so yeah it's a machine and it's just chewing you up and like again i don't know like i'm just gonna say spoilers because we've been talking for quite a while um <laughs> 
we like we get to this point where like they sign the armistice and then this fucking general is just like all right you know what we got like an hour left we're gonna capture that like we're not gonna go home dogs with tails between our legs we're gonna go we're gonna fucking take this place it belongs to us we're gonna get it and everyone's just like okay yeah sure like i guess so like the people who say no are like forced forward and some of them are shot um mm-hmm. and it's a just lot like of them are shot yeah which appar- apparently was not like a real thing i tried to look up to see if this last second offensive was like a real thing i i've i've heard it is it would not shock me but i couldn't find the name of it um so like maybe I mean, it is it, like the, the, or maybe it was just a skirmish but like you know i just and also i only watched this today so i didn't have a lot of time for research <laughs> yeah i don't know like <laughs> um but yeah i uh it was it was really good it was um i enjoyed it a lot and like that whole you know as much i almost joined the military um i didn't know that yeah i did i had like a recruiter come over to my house and everything i um I had been a, a, a champion marksman uh, all throughout oh, middle and high I'm school. Oh, I'm so jealous. That, that was really, oh my God. Okay. What? Quick story. <laughs> okay. okay. I so, couldn't tell if you were being ironic or not. No, no. Okay. So freshman year, I had really wanted to join the riflery team. Oh, okay. And my, my goal was like, okay, I'm just going to, like, this was probably like the end of freshman year. So I was like, oh, I'll do this, you know, sophomore year. And I was just like, really, you know, I, my father was a big gun guy. Um not that I'm into guns, but I think that like, that's a skill that I would have loved to learn. And then I, then we moved to another town and they didn't have a rifle routine. So to me, it's always like the, the sport that got away. Oh, so for me, I, uh, went to boy scout camp and I took the riflery merit badge. Right. Um, but I did not complete the necessary scoring to get the merit badge. So I'd done all of the other requirements of the merit badge, except for like, I don't know, get four targets that are like a 35 or above. So, and those fucking guns were the worst. They were like, like 40 year old, really super cheap. And so my dad's like, well, let's, let's find a place to go to do some rifle shooting. So you can get this merit badge. Cause like, otherwise you're going to have to wait until next summer and you're gonna have to like, blow some money and some time getting this thing. You're not gonna be able to get something else. Um, and so at that point we go and we find a place and with like a slightly decent rifle and a modicum of coaching from someone who wasn't like a half stoned 18 year old, I actually was really, really good. And so they were like, you should keep coming back. This kid's got talent. He could probably do matches. And my dad was like, I don't know. Do you like it? Is he having fun? And I was like, hell yeah, this is great. So I started doing competitive rifle shooting. I was like nationally ranked. I think I was third in the nation for the kneeling position. Holy shit. Yeah, it was weird. Um I got <clears throat> I got it's very close. really good at random shit. I you know, yeah, I've lived a weird life. Um and I'm still like a decent shot. But like, you know, I was like, how do I I parlay this? And of course I was a boy scout, I became an Eagle Scout, so I was like used to a militarily regimented lifestyle. And I just, you know. I wanted to serve my country. I didn't I didn't want to be one of these people who sits back and just reaps all the benefits of the the, the world that we live in without having had anything to uh, do with the protecting and the keeping of it. I got talked out of it. I don't know. I don't know how that happened. 
I kind of was told like, well, you could always join after college. Like if you want to get a college education, you know, you could do it after the thing or, you know, so like basically I got talked to them like you could do it later. And then I never did it later. Um, I thought about joining the reserves after college and I had another meeting with a recruiter but I think at that point, I they were still being picky about who was joining up, and I wasn't physically fit enough at that point, which actually encouraged me to go to the gym so that I could try to join again. But then things just spiraled out of control. I never did it. So anyway, I was going to join the military. I don't even remember what we were talking about and why I brought that up. <laughs> I, was, um. I, was a, I was a crack shot. <laughs> I was really great. I was going to join the military. Uh, I don't remember wh- how we got onto this. <laughs> Your memoirs, we weren't soldiers. <laughs> yeah, like t- t- two or three times almost a soldier. I had a recruiter come to my house. I could have joined up as like a, like the lowest level NCO. Because like, you know, I, w- I w- had to go to officer candidacy school to go to above that. But between my grades and my Eagle Scout and like whatever aptitude test they put me in, they were like, yeah, you could basically come in as like, you know, a staff sergeant or something. And then I was like, I don't know, man. I feel like I should go in as a private so I can earn my stripes the real way. And he was like, Haha. okay, buddy. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. So, um, Bill, do you remember what I was saying there, that brought us onto that? <laughs> there was 10,944 casualties on um, the last day of the war. That's uh, fucking crazy. 2,700 men died um, of those t- nearly 11,000 casualties. Um, apparently, uh, numerous uh, units fired their spare ammunition so they wouldn't have to haul it away. Oh, that, that was one of the reasons. Right, of um, course. But, you know, of course, both sides are like, well, we're not going to give up our position because what if this treaty falls through? Like we're hearing, yes, we're going to have an armistice, but like, what's to fucking keep the guy away from me from like firing at me? So I'm going to hold my line. And if they cross this, you know, into no man's land, well, guess what? I'm going to fucking kill you. Um, People, uh, I think the last recorded, it says here, the last mortally wounded person uh, was at 1045 a.m a uh, Belgian soldier. Hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, <laughs> people definitely like fucking fought at the last, uh, second. Um, I think, what was I reading here? Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> the fucking U S military, uh, they shot a railway gun. um, at 10:57:30 a.m. So literally like a minute and 30 seconds before the war ended. That's they were crazy. like, "Let me let me fire this gun." And they fired it past the uh German front lines to hopefully hit nothing, but who the fuck knows. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, well, it's 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 bombs away. We'll see what happens. So, yeah, um they also uh the Germany uh, forces in Africa, they didn't realize that uh, an armistice had been, you know, declared. Uh, I'm sure I'm confusing those terms, but I don't give a fuck. Um, 
so a ceasefire had been declared and uh, they didn't find out for another two weeks. And so they had to, because of course they're like, well, who the fuck are these people? I'm in Africa. So I'm going to have to negotiate a treaty with the people across from me. And so that I'm sure that took a long time too. <laughs> I mean, so, word, word travels slow. <laughs> they were yes, using pigeons. Yes. So, um, but it isn't like in this movie, they show like, you know, even, even when they're like beginning to, to resolve the arms, the, uh, like the, the rules or the, like the final treaty, like the accord, they're like on the radio, just like, so are we calling a ceasefire? Will we work on that or not? And then they're like, yeah, no, we gave them the papers, but we told them we're not going to stop. So like, tell them to keep going, I guess. <laughs> it's yep. so, it's so awful. Yeah, that reminds me of, uh, I think there was like this Japanese soldier who fought in World War II and like never surrendered. Apparently there were, I believe, a couple of those. So I just Googled it and it's like, okay, after the war ended, Anoda spent 29 years hiding in the Philippines until his former commander traveled from Japan to formally relieve him of duty. So he thought, I, I can't tell if he thought that the war was still happening or he just refused to give up. I think it was one of those things where it's like you had, like, you got it. You like, these people might be lying to me. I don't know. Yeah, that's. I mean, I, I probably saw this on Reddit a million years ago. And so my brain is just conflating something. But yeah, I. Yeah, that's kind of wild. Yes. <laughs> yes, it's like it the is. village. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, man, this movie is really great. I, I I actually, it made me think a lot about the movie Fury, which is a movie that I didn't see until like a year or two ago and actually really, really loved. Yeah, I still haven't gotten around to that, but that's a, that's a filmmaker I, I'm kind of hot and cold on. Oh, um, Ayer? Sometimes, yeah, sometimes yeah. really hot. Like Ayer I really is... enjoyed The Last Watch and, and some of these other oh, things. Oh, Last so. Watch is fucking fantastic. And then he, you know, he wrote Training Day, which is very good and... But yeah, Ayers Ayers a weird cat. I mean, I wrote like one of the only vaguely positive reviews of the tax collector, and even I'm not sure I liked that movie. movie. The tax collector. The tax collector. Is that that the one with uh, Ben? Ben. Ben Affleck. No, I don't know what that is? is. What is oh the oh, you're thinking of the accountant? No, the tax collector <laughs> is Shia LaBeouf as a guy named Creeper. It's a very Classic. fucked up movie. It's um, it's actually I I again I can't even tell you if I like this movie or not. It's bananas though. It's apparently on Hulu. It's not on AMC Plus, but you should check it out. It's um, it's about a guy who's like he's the tax collector for like you know the organized crime racket. And, like, some shit goes real fucking wrong real fucking hard. Like, it gets... This movie goes absolutely fucking ham. Um, but I kind of enjoy it. It's 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 a typical David Ayer where it's like, we're all criminals, but we're family. But, oh, my God, it's about to go really bad. And, you know, it's good. I like it. I don't know. I follow him on Twitter. He seems like a nice guy. What was I saying? Fury's a great movie. Fury, I watched that, and it's it is it is a World War II movie with the moral ambiguity of this movie. 
it's it's about a tank battalion and specifically one tank crew and it is it is a horror movie in world war ii and there's a kid who's like not supposed to be there but there's just not enough people and so they're like here you're part of this group and it's it's incredible just like the the level of grit and like grossness and detail and like the way that you can tell that the war has broken these men and that they are at the point where they are vengeful against the Germans in a way that somehow still feels wrong. Like, you know, when you are the good guys, as I would argue America was in World War II, um, it feels like you shouldn't be able to cross a line with the enemy. But it these guys come close with like their sheer glee and their level of of like hatred as they like plow towards Berlin. It's um but you get it. But at the same time, you're also like, I don't know, like I I want my good guys to not be this bad. And I think that we get a lot of valorized views of World War II. And I'm positive that there had to be some people who were just fucking furious as fury and like you know we're we're there to like you know claim some blood and get some vengeance for what the fuck happened to them and um so i would say that these are two good double bills especially because they both heavily feature tanks (laughs) i'm still i don't know i like you know the more i think about it like sure yeah i think those four notes in this movie deserve the best score i can't think of anything else that really had a good score this year i don't even know what the hell else was nominated exactly and whenever it hit, I was like, oh, shit, like, wake up. It's time to get some some nonsense going. I don't know. But the movie's gorgeous. I mean, that first shot of the foxes in their den. Mm. Like, ah, just like beautiful. Like, and, you know, it's it's um, I don't know. I liked it. It was it was good. I can't I don't know what to tell you about that. Yeah, I don't have a lot of complaints about this movie. I think one one complaint about the adaptation i have read was that again i have not read the book but they wish that they had shown how difficult it is for soldiers to return to their former life um because i think there's a sequence in the book apparently where paul goes home for a holiday and he just realizes that he'll never like you can't go home again he'll never be the person that he was before he'll never be able to um relate to people who have not been to war and apparently that was like one of the more beloved aspects of the book and the, and the film sort of touches on it because at one point cat like they're sitting on a latrine together and they're talking about they're talking about this is this is an exact issue but they're not really it's not coming from a lived experience or you know it's really like a, a tell me not show me kind of thing um but i still think it evoked something for me as a viewer because i it made me think about that scenario. Would it have been better to to see it happen? Um, I'm sure there's a particular reason why the the filmmaking team chose not to do that, but I think that could have added something. Yeah, I am. Um, it it was it was weird because I do remember that as well. I it, what's I kept comparing this to 1917, and I was like, what are these two movies doing differently? And I think that 1917 is. I don't know, like a little more human is the way to put it. Like it's, it's maybe a little more hopeful. (laughs) I don't know. Like I remember it, 1917 seemed to be like a, a statement of like 
somehow we made it through. Like it was insane. It's like, it's fucking incomprehensible, but like we did it. Like we got home, like we, we got through this thing. And like that, that scene at the end of the movie where he like looks at the pictures of his family and like breaks down and you realize that like, this is a human being (laughs) that we've just followed. And like, there's been so much on his shoulders it was very powerful. And this movie, you start with them as human beings and you just basically watch them get slasher movied throughout the entire course of it. And I do wonder if it would be more powerful if, if you'd had him survive and go home and, you know, you can't shrug it off. You know, like they say in this movie, like you're cut off from humanity for the rest of your life. Like there's people are not going to understand what happened here. And... um I do, I usually find, and I think this, you know, if anyone has listened to this podcast in any real way for the entirety of its run, you would know, I love watching people deal with things. I love the aftermath of stuff. So it, it is like as much as it is like, well, you know, people go to war and they die. I I think that it's as much of a tragedy for the people who have to go back. And I think that that's actually one of the great things about like the Hurt Locker you know, is that like, you can't come back. And when you do, you just want to go back again. And it's, you know, and there's a quote, only the dead have seen the end of war. And so like as much of a tragedy as it for Paul in this movie to die and for this fucking kid, not to even take his goddamn dog tag. uh, So his death (laughs) wasn't even recorded. Um, it's, it's, I think it's more tragic to go home and then to know that in 20 years, they're going to do this again. Like, there is something... It's the dramatic irony. Yeah, it's Parents it's dramatic irony, but also, up. like, you just wonder, like, God, what the fuck must that have been like? Like, for these people, you know, how did they for get talked into it again? Their sons. <laughs> yeah, it's so crazy. Because they had a charismatic leader. I know, I know. It's crazy. But also, I mean, like, and they kind of touch on that in this movie, because Daniel Bruhl is like you asking us to make all these capitulations is going to breed hatred. Like this isn't the way to end this. And the French are like, fuck you, buddy. What are you doing here? Like you go to fucking hell. And like, honestly, I get it. Yeah, <laughs> but, I, I definitely got it. <laughs> yeah. Like I understand their anger. It's insane for Germany to be like, we are clearly losing. We'd really love to like amicably end this. And France is just like, are you out of your fucking mind? Yeah. But then, unfortunately, (laughs) again, following off of the Treaty of Versailles 20 years later, some bad shit went down. (laughs) So, you know, he's sort of right. But at the same time, like, you know, it's kind of a tragedy that Kat gets killed. But also that little French farm boy has been there his entire life. And what were you doing there, Stanislaus? Yeah. You know, so it's hard. It's like and I like that ambiguity like that sense of like right it's a tragedy that these young men have died but what were they doing there but also like it wasn't really their fault that they were there like the the systems were aligned to put if them they there. had if they had listened to their moms yeah i know mm-hmm. women women get it mm-hmm. anyway so yeah that's it that's all i got i think i don't know that i have anything else to say about this movie it's very good what did it win let's take a look it won best international feature uh, fair. Uh, best achievement in music written for a film. Uh, achievement in cinematography and production design. So yeah, I get that. It was also nominated for hairstyle and makeup. I get it. Sound. 
Shocking that it missed that. Was that, did that go to Top Gun? Yes. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, visual effects, best motion picture of the year, and best adapted screenplay. I can't, I can't say anything about whether or not this was a good adapted screenplay. I can't believe screenplay. that. Yeah, I mean, I still Are you about to go off on women talking again? Uh, yeah, because it's just like, you look at a movie like this, and then you look at a movie like that, and you're like, how is this even comparable? So is this just like, um... A political message? Because that's what it felt like. I guess so. I don't know. Mm-hmm. All all the Oscar stuff is always political, isn't it? I mean, like. I mean, I, I guess. But what I'm okay. So my gripe with women talking is that it's not really a boring movie. Well, it's a little bit sort of slow. But these women have lived in a repressive. Um, like authoritarian theocratic society, you know, very isolated um, mm-hmm. for their whole lives. Why do they sound like college professors talking about systemic oppression? It, 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 it's absurd that these <laughs> women speak the way they do. So the fact that it got a writing award is just, a, it, it's just mind boggling. Because there's nothing authentic, there's nothing um, true about the way that these women spoke. They spoke like, you know, somebody who studied gender studies their whole life explaining rape. It was ridiculous. Yeah, I am... I don't know. I mean, like, that's, that's one of the problems with a lot of these things, though, is that, like, they're written in a way that's completely antithetical to like how humans speak, but it's done because like the person wants to do make an essay, but they decide to put it into a movie. Didn't we just talk about this? Wasn't it, wasn't it like, was it, was, it was like a, the, was it good? Not good girl. <laughs> don't, don't worry, darling. <laughs> um, oh, and it yeah, was, yeah. it was like how it's like so fake and it's like a bunch of dunk tweets that were turned into a script like yeah. it's it would be it is it is more interesting to think of how real human beings would speak and act in a situation like that and how would they filter what they're feeling through their own lens and their own vocabulary but like that's not how these things get written i saw a bunch of fucking tweets about how stupid women talking was just in terms of like the way that it was written and the way that it like the characters were done and um, it made me never want to see that movie because I feel like I would just be upset the whole time. It's it. I mean, it's an it. It's a concept that is very interesting to me. It's loosely inspired by a, a real situation that happened to women in, in a Mennonite community, I think, in Bolivia. And so I was very, uh, I was very open to this movie. Um, it was, I think, it was just executed poorly. I have nothing, I have no problem with movies, even just about women, you know, in a room together, having their own sort of 12 angry men. Like, I'm fine with that. It was the, it was the way it was structured. Right. But the way that like 12 angry men works is that like, these are different people with very different ideas and they like, well, that's how women talking works because you have the ones who want to stay, the ones who want to go. Right, But didn't you say that like, they speak in a way that feels completely antithetical. They all do. Right. That's all speak the way, the same way. Right. Well, that's like, you know, uh, like people love Aaron Sorkin and they're wrong because he basically, (laughs) 
He basically does the same thing. Aaron Sorkin characters are all just Aaron Sorkin talking to Aaron Sorkin, except for the people yes. you're not supposed to agree with. Those people are fucking morons. Yeah. Like, and that's the problem. I couldn't agree with you more. I am. Um, I, I wrote a, I wrote a, a short story once and the feedback that I received from a friend was you, you, the characters speak too differently. And I was like, I don't understand what you mean. <laughs> And they said that it was <laughs> jarring to have one person speaking perfect, you know, grammatically correct English and the other one to speak with such a heavy vernacular. And I was like, but that's the point. Like these two characters are from very different worlds. And one like, no I don't know. Bad writers, only bad readers. Well, I was just like, so what would you have me do? Like, should I dumb one down or smarten one up? Like, what's the better way to do it? And then they also were upset because I would be writing in the omniscient narration and using like very big words and stuff. But then they're like, but then your characters speak like they're idiots. And I was like, to be fair, my characters are fucking idiots. Like, I don't know what you want from me. I wrote a scene and there's three stoners and they're fucking aced out of their gourds. And they're talking about making a sandwich. Like, yeah, they're not going to speak the way that the narrator is. But yeah, I think that people just have have a problem with that. Like, they they need it to be a certain way. And like certain writers like David Mamet can get away with that because they can infuse some humanity in between all of that stuff and create, you know, personalities. Like, you're never going to mistake a Ricky Roma line for a Shelley the Machine Levine line in Glengarry Glen Ross. You know, because he's good enough. But I don't know. Like some people don't got that. Like, I don't know. Aaron Sorkin. Boo. Boo. Anyway, I'm glad we went on another tangent. Um, does anyone have anything final to say about All Quiet on the Western Front? Nah, it's a banger. It is. It's a banger. I liked it a lot. I'm glad we all agreed. Uh, great 501st episode. Super excited. Um, Let's go. Yeah, that's it for today. Um, Robin Barr, what are we talking about next week? I think you guys are doing John Wick. Hell yeah. Sure, yeah. That was next the idea. That might be what we're doing. Yeah, that's. I, I want to see it. I definitely do. I got to look into what time I can make work. We have to figure that out because I, uh, I just cannot see myself seeing this movie. Why not? Have you seen the other ones? Nope. I would actually love it if you went and saw this without having seen any of the other ones. Oh we my made... god, that's like what Jordan wants me to do for Indiana Jones and the bullshit of who gives a fuck. Like, oh, the Dial of I've Destiny, which is a terror. Never seen any of them. No, I saw Indiana Jones one, and I was like, I have not seen any of the other ones. How much homework do I have to do? And, oh, and then it was the same thing for Mission Impossible. Have not seen one Mission Impossible. What oh, the fuck is wrong with you? Have you been in a coma for twenty years? She no, doesn't I'm like dinosaurs. Just a female. <laughs> there are no dinosaurs in Mission Impossible. Uh fuck dinosaurs. Fuck like motorcycles off of cliffs. Fuck old dudes who think they're still 30. Like fuck, you know, three hour long, just like murder fests. I don't care. Well, you just watched a two and a half hour long murder fest and you really liked it, so Different. <laughs> different murder fest. Wow. Different. Haven't seen it. We'll still say different. There was one time, Bill, were you here? Was was that when like Danny King was like, I've never seen a Fast and Furious movie. And I was like, don't see any of them, but go see whichever one we're about to talk about. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. That was a good that, that was, was a good episode. He was like, I think I get it. I think they like are a family. And I was like, you are correct, sir. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I had to watch up to seven to see seven, and I hadn't seen four, five, six to that point. And I just I just banged them out as you do with Fast and Furious movies. Yep. You know. Infinitely bangable. Let's go. They're very bangable. All right. So next week, we might probably maybe be talking about John Wick Chapter 4. I mean, we will. Robin, (laughs) probably not. Again, also assuming that I am able to go and see it, which I want to. I really, really want to. We will see what happens. Um, If if nothing else, then I'll get some of the crew together and we'll, we'll do a podcast on it. Yeah, I want to say that I I have met Jordan Raup in person, I think, to see John Wick Chapter 2 in New York. Nice. I think it was like probably Thanksgiving. I went with my at the time wife. Anyway, it was, it was, a, it was a good time. Um, what was I going to say? So John Wick Chapter 4 is just John Wick Chapter 4. Wasn't One of them had like yes. a subtitle. Mm-hmm. It was like John Wick Parabellum. Yes, correct. That might have been the second one. Oh, no, that was the third one. Yeah, that was the third one. So they went chapter two, chapter three, Parabellum, and now they're just like, John Wick chapter four. (laughs) Yep, getting too long. Let's go. Uh, All right, whatever. Um, Interesting. Anyway, John Wick chapter three, Parabellum is apparently on Peacock. Check it out. Um. That's all for today. Let's tell, uh, actually, no, before we tell people where we can be found, I would like to remind people to sign up for our Patreon, patreon.com slash filmstageshow. In addition, uh, you can join our Slack channel and uh, give us your money. Um, we are brought to you by Mubi, M-U-B-I dot com slash filmstage for a free 30-day trial. And that's it, right? That's all. I don't need to tell anyone anything else. Let's tell the fine people at home where you can be found between now and the next time that we're shouting in their ears about people shooting each other. Let's start with Bill Graham. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at CableBFG. I don't tweet much, but I did post some puppy pictures and some other things. I can't remember. Um, oh, yeah. Frenchies are number one dog. Uh, number one. Uh, what is it? Purebred dog in America. So I think I, I'm pretty sure golden doodles don't fucking count because they're a hybrid and the AKC does not recognize them. Oh, Same really? Thing with Interesting. So At what, I guess, off. is it like a, like at some point it has to like to become a stable breed, it has to hit like a certain genetic crossover, right? I Where guess it's like you I mean, can be you assured know, that a golden doodle and a golden doodle will make another golden doodle. But right now it could be like more golden than doodle. So it's not a stable yeah offspring yep well i I think i think the akc is just you know they're they're a bunch of assholes anyway so yeah they're just like nah nah the most popular dog nah i can't have it but you know uh we have the two most popular dog breeds in america we have the golden or not the golden uh we have the labrador retriever and then we have the french bulldog so uh so... My, my house is sitting pretty good good for you so i looked up the newest akc dog and apparently in 2022, they inducted into their legion, I don't know what to call it, the Moody, M-U-D-I, and the Russian toy dog. 
bringing the okay, AKC's cool. recognized breed count up to 199. It, then 200 needs to be a golden doodle. Like, let's just get They can't add place. anything else until we stabilize the golden doodle. It's, there's nothing else to do here. Oh, man. Anyway, um, so that's fun. All right. Bill's got the most popular purebred dog in America. And I have two mutts, and they're both insane. Uh, Robin Barr, where can people find yourself online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, R-O-B-Y-N-B-A-H-R, um, also on Letterboxd, the same name. And uh, you can sometimes find my writing at The Hollywood Reporter. I just actually reviewed a, sun, a South by movie called Another Body. Um, Nice. Interesting uh, doc about deepfake porn. Oh, Mr. Jam. Yeah, talking about. Were we talking about deepfakes? Uh, I was the one that sort of brought up deepfakes. I was just using that as a shortcut. It wasn't really about deepfakes. Okay. Anyway, I was about to say, did we do that? <laughs> Clearly, I need to go to bed. Anyway, you can find me on my personal site, BrianJerone.com. Uh, you can find out more about my whiskey at inkwellwhiskey.com. And, of course, you can find my writing and every episode of this year's podcast over at thefilmstage.com. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us, and tune in next time. Somebody.